Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. So, welcome to The Rest is Politics with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. And we have our second special guest. The first was a Labour Prime Minister by the name of Tony Blair. And the current one, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Keir Starmer, hopefully the next <laughs> Labour Prime Minister. <laughs> so, let's start by asking you, how is that going to be brought about? What is the plan Oh, well, look, there's always been three bits of the plan, a three-part plan. The first bit was to change the Labour Party. So I obviously took over two years and two months ago, and we'd just lost the worst election results since 1935. And I felt very strongly that when you lose that badly, you don't look at the electorate and say, what on earth were you doing? You look at your own party and say, we've got to change. So we did the change bit, and we've done a huge amount of change in the last two years. Next bit is expose... The Tories is not fit to govern. I've been ably assisted by Boris Johnson in that, uh, including uh, his departure. Um, and then the next bit is, if not them, then um, why us, which is the bit we're on at the moment. And I've just been setting out that uh, we want to fight the next election on the economy. Mm-hmm. I think that's the single most important thing. What, what was this journey of changing Labour? What were the hard truths that you felt that you had to tell Labour? I think there were a number of them, Rory. The, the one that's obviously attracted the most attention is what we've done on anti-Semitism when my very first words as Labour leader, um, albeit uh, in lockdown, therefore those words were um, to an armchair in my front room rather than to an audience. But my first words were, I'm going to tear out anti-Semitism by the roots. And that was um, the thing that I think most people have recognised the most. But there have been other important things as well. Um, When the conflict kicked off in Ukraine, I felt it was very important for us to make clear our unshakable commitment to NATO um, and reclaim that because, after all, it was Labour that signed the original treaty um, that I went to see in Brussels just the other month. Um, But there are other things as well, Rory, the whole change relationship with business, where um, which is a mindset thing, not just words. The mindset is believing that business is a force for good and that a, re- that, that a partnership between an active Labour government that sets the mission and empowers um, business to actually you know, uh, achieve the mission is the right relationship. So there are a number of things. If I was to try to put an overarching framework around it, Rory, it would be um, to turn the Labour Party inside out. We had spent the best part of 10 years closing in, looking in on ourselves. And people genuinely thought in the Labour Party that winning a motion in the Labour Party was changing the world. And I had to I had to turn the Labour Party, and, and still doing this, of course, turn it to face the electorate rather than having a discussion with itself. 
So, so one, one last question for me, and then I'll hand back to Alistair, because this is very much stuff that he he been thinking about all his life. But what is a hard truth that you would still really want to communicate to the Labour Party? I mean, it's a challenge I'd put to the Conservative candidates too. You know, what hard truth should they be saying to the Conservative Party? I'd like them to say, for example, we've made a complete mess in all Naran Protocol and it's a disgrace. What hard truth would you like to say to the Labour Party? Country first, party second. Uh, if I can get that hard truth across, uh, then we will be a long way down the road to winning that general election. Uh, and that's hard because as a party, we have um, tended to put party first um, in recent years. And we've proven that that's not a winning formula. Um, and so we have to. But it, I mean, Rory, I mean, you know, from when you were here, um, the best day of the week for me is always Wednesday when we finish PMQs. And I'm about to go out and about around the country um, and go to talk to people in their communities about what really matters to them. That is when it, politics really comes alive, the stuff in the chamber is usually a load of old nonsense. Um, but actually, that's when it comes alive. And 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 when I think about what we've got to do with the Labour Party, I have in my mind's eye the people that I've met along the way. You know, um, I was talking to Alistair about a trip I did to Burnley, um, obviously a beloved place for Alistair um, a few months ago. And I was really, really struck talking to um, community groups, business groups, local leaders um, there of all different sorts, uh, the absolute ambition they had for their place um, and this sense, deep sense they had that they didn't have a government that matched their ambition. And I want a Labour government to match their ambition. I want that changed. Same in Blackpool. I went there actually last summer, I think it was, for three days. Um, and we, I, went, I wanted to go to where people are. I didn't want them to come to me. So I don't sit in a room and say, come to my meeting. I go to where they are. So in Ipswich, we went to the bingo. Um, in Blackpool, we went on the beach, on the pier, just wandering around talking to people. But I went. what really struck me in Blackpool was I went to a sixth form college. And there must have been, I don't know, 20, 25, 16 or 17-year-olds. And I said to them, how many of you are proud of Blackpool where you grew up? And all their hands shot up. They loved the place. And then I said, how many of you think that you're going to have to leave Blackpool to get the job you want um, for your life? And all bar one hand went up. It was really, you know, such a strong indicator. And I obviously asked the guy who didn't put his hand up, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a teacher at this school. Um, well, and so it's the, the, so Rory, for me, this... Um, <clears throat> Because I, you know, I came into politics um, late in life, as it were, um, and for me, this isn't about you know which slogan is the best slogan, etc. It's I think how does a Labour government change the lives of the people I'm meeting in and around the country? You can only do that if you face them, talk to them, understand what they are absolutely concerned about, and join with them and 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 match their ambition. So it's not about slogans. But if you had to have a slogan now for the next election, what would it be? And also, if you had to have a pledge card with five things on it that you were going to communicate to the country, five things you want to do, what would they be? I think the slogan, um, just at the moment, would be a fresh start for Britain um, because we're in this, frankly, ridiculous situation where um, the Tories are changing the manager for the fourth time in 12 years and they believe that the change we need is somebody different at the top of the Tory party. The, the debates have exposed how wrong that theory is. So fresh start um, for Britain would be the slogan. Mm -hmm. um, if we had a pledge card, I'm not going to write it here and now, but I think the most important things are growing the economy, growing the economy, growing the economy. So that would be absolutely number one. 
um, fixing our public services and uniting our country. This toxic division has been going on for too long where um, too many politicians are looking for wedge issues. How can I divide people into different camps? And we need to bring them together. For a pledge card, you'd probably then just be much more practical about it. You know, uh, GPs, appointments, waiting lists, um, childcare skills, mental health. Um, but I would have as a sort of organising principle growing the economy. I want that to be the single biggest argument in the next general election because I think that if we don't grow the economy, if we don't raise living standards, um, then all of the other issues, what are you going to do about public services, what are you going to do about education, all fall away because if how you're not you, growing you, the economy, you show, you're not creating How do you show an opposition that. that you can grow an economy? Oh, we come up with the ideas on it, um, which we've done you know, with the Climate Investment Pledge, with the Skills Commission that we're running with David Blunkett, by make and sell more stuff in Britain. We've got good, strong ideas. One of the problems we've got is we don't say it often enough. People say, what are you saying here? What's the big project? And I've been saying grow the economy for some time. We've got really strong policy offers behind it. We need to just make that a much more coherent narrative. I want to go to the election fighting on the economy. One of the things that worries me about this is obviously everybody's trying to grow the economy. And it ends up sounding, doesn't matter whether you're in the US or in Britain, as though you're sort of reciting a kind of article from The Economist magazine 20 years ago. Yeah. Everybody's talking about, you know, innovation, education, investment, yeah. I think is the way that Rishi Sunak's catching it. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and the truth is, we are, I think, about to head into a 10 year global recession. And even if you become prime minister, you've got very limited control. And what on earth are you going to do with interest rates and inflation? Well, Rory, just let, let's humanise this um, because I agree growing the economy is feels very abstract. Um, I went to Whiteley onshore wind farm just outside Glasgow uh, last year. It's an amazing place, by the way. You may have been there. It's up on the hillside. Um, you've got these turbines, huge wind turbines, which are massive. There's 350 of them there overlooking Glasgow. It's almost like a film set. It is incredible. And they're big pieces of engineering. They're generating so much electricity that they have to turn them off because they can't actually store the electricity. These are big, big bits of kit. And I said to the CEO when I was there, how many of these were built in Britain? And he said, none of them. And I said, why not? He said, because the government didn't have a strategy. They didn't have the certainty and the investors went elsewhere. And it was as simple as that. And that's so, uh, I think... Um, so where were they from? They were um, coming in from Indonesia and some of them from Denmark. And that's where they, they were literally being towed in and put, put together. And a lot, of the, a lot of the component parts from China. But that's partly labour yeah, costs, but, right? But Rory, I mean, yeah. the, the other example I'll just give is, um, I went to Filton just outside Bristol and saw these brilliant um, apprentices um, who were working on a project to build the hydrogen plane. And they were incredible because not only were they highly skilled, they were well paid, they were proud of what they were doing. They felt like they were revolutionaries. They wanted that change. And so, um, and this is why some of the stuff in the Tory leadership debate about net zero is so depressing mm. because here we have an absolute opportunity to seize the next generation of jobs, to see the climate transition that we've got to go through, we have to go through for the sake of the planet and for our children and our children's children as a massive opportunity. Some countries got to get ahead on hydrogen. Some countries got to get ahead on the next hydrogen plane. Some countries got to get ahead on what will probably be 
um, deep sea wind turbines, floating turbines of the future. I guess, Keir, the challenge there is that the Germans tried to do, make that bet on solar, didn't they? And what yeah. they found out in the end is that it was cheaper to make this stuff in China, that there's no natural relationship between preparing for renewable energy and a transition and creating jobs in your own country, unless you begin to put in some pretty stern structures around your country to try to protect your own industries. And I guess you're not prepared to go there. Well, Rory, I mean, I've had lots of discussions now with CEOs of, you know, some of the big banks, some of the big investment um, projects and said and had this discussion, Rory, which is, look, what do you want from a government that is pro-growth that really wants to get our uh, economy going what how do you want to work how, how 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 could we do this and i say to them up front i i believe in an active state so i don't if you're going to say to me leave it all to us just you know get out of the way um well that's not how i'm going to operate i do think we should there's a role for the state i think if you're elected um as an incoming labor government you're entitled to say what the mission is um, I don't think that the state should then try and run everything because it doesn't work very well. Um, but you can empower others to do it if you're clear with the mission. And if you're, you provide the certainty, the trust, the respect, the ambition, um, and work in a partnership with business where everybody understands what that mission is and everybody works to that mission so that you empower them to do it. That, and that model they were describing, we were talking about, this is the model that they want to operate. It's the model I want to operate. And, you know, even saying those words, certainty, trust, respect, a plan tells you exactly why. Um, we can't go on with this broken government because that's what we've been missing for 12 years. No, you won't, you won't be surprised to hear me say that any growth plan would surely benefit from having better trading relations with the European Union up yes. to and including rejoin, up to and including single market customs union. I mean, Brexit has taken 40% out of our economy. A couple of things, Alistair. Yes, of course, we want better trading relations with the EU. And that's why I've said we've got to make Brexit work. Because what we've but got, do you honestly believe it can what work? We, I, I do. How? And I, not only do I believe we can make it work, um, uh, did I believe we, that it can work? I think we have to make it work. Um, and you know, I've as you know got young kids. I'm not going to say to them um, for the whole of their lives. I'm sorry um, because of what happened in 2016. Um, we can't make anything work. Your, your, your futures won't be brilliant. Um, you won't have the best economy, the best housing, the best public services in this but country. But do, do you also want to say to them that you'd, you'd like them to be able to have some of the rights that we've, that we've lost? Look, you know, we had that discussion. Um, we voted and we've not only voted, we've left. Um, and I think we have to look forward, not backwards. And I think just looking over your shoulder. And, and I was in Germany with Olaf Scholz yeah, yeah. this weekend, uh, last week. A fantastically interesting meeting about how we improve relations between Germany and the UK, including our economic relations, because there's been a downturn in trade on both sides. So this is a discussion that he wants to have. And you know what? We didn't have a discussion about going back into the single market, back into the customs union. That wasn't the discussion that I wanted to have. It wasn't a discussion that he wanted to have. But we did have a discussion about how we'd reduce barriers to trade. How, the first question, you know, on the agenda was, what are you going to do about the Northern Ireland Protocol? There are things that can be done to make Brexit work. And that's, we've got to look ahead to this. I honestly think that just sort of tearing ourselves apart for another five years um, would be the worst of all options for an incoming Labour government. We you, have to you, make you this must, work. But you must know that there are, you've got to build a coalition, you've got to go from 
as you say, the worst result since 1935. Yeah. You've got to be basically Smith, Kinnock and Blair in one. Yeah. And there are people who won't vote for you because of what they see as a position on Brexit that they, they won't support. And all I'm saying is you're happy to live with that. Look, uh, Alistair, people say to me with great certainty what's going to happen and what people will or won't vote for. Um, when I took over as leader of the Labour Party, we did come off the back of that terrible general election result. And most people, um, certainly in the party, said to me, to my face, good luck here. And behind my back, but not with any nastiness, it's not possible to do it in one term. It's not possible. I'd never believe that. Um, we've got on with it. We've changed the Labour Party. This year in the local election results and in the White Wakefield by-election results, we have proved that if there was a general election anytime soon, we would win that general election. People told me that was impossible. I do not believe it. I don't believe that it's impossible for Labour to win with a majority at the next election whenever it comes. I well, even, we, even we never won without Scotland. Abs absolute, absolute yeah, certainty that we can do What are you going to do about Scotland then? Well, in Scotland, you know, the deal I'll do in Scotland is with the, with the Scottish people. I won't be doing a deal with the SNP because... I want to be Prime Minister for the whole of the United Kingdom. I want a Labour government for the whole of the United no, Kingdom. But what are you going to do to get people in Scotland to vote Labour? Oh, we have to make a much better case for the whole of the United Kingdom, why the future is the United Kingdom, not the past. We can't just look backwards and say these are the things that you'll lose if you don't do as we suggest. We've got to make an exciting argument about the future of Scotland, which is – about growing the economy, the next generation of jobs for the United Kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. Make that positive case for the uh, United Kingdom. But we can't do a deal with the SNP. And that's why I've been very clear. No deal into the election, no deal after the election. And I've also been very clear that that's not just a numbers game. Um, it's actually I fundamentally don't see any basis for an alliance with the SNP because you can't have a progressive Labour Party coming into government um, to – um, create a better united kingdom and have an alliance with a party um, whose defining mission is to break up the united kingdom. What about the, what about the Lib Dems then? The Lib Dems are not you, – you're much well, more closely aligned with the Lib Dems. Yeah, but we haven't got a pact with the Lib Dems. Um, Why not? Well, <laughs> look, you know, they are fighting where they, they need to fight. I'm fighting where I need to fight. I, you know, I am very focused on – where we need to win. I've got a list of where we need to win. I keep it by my side to remind me um, not to lose my focus because a lot of noise uh, going on out there, people telling you do more of this, do more of that. Um, but I'm utterly focused. I know what we've got to do to win that general election. And on my list of seats that I need to win, there aren't many fights with the Lib Dems. Uh, most of them are with the Tories, um, almost all of them with the Tories, some of them with the SNP. So I know what I've got to do. I know where the fight is going to be. Um, and that's why we haven't got a pact with the Lib Dems. Now, now don't give me a politician's answer on this one, right? <laughs> you keep telling me I should be more of a politician and now you're saying I can't give a politician's answer. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I mean by Okay, you know that. What, uh, give me your honest assessment of uh, Johnson's legacy, first of all. Uh, we don't need to spend too much time on that, but also of the of the – the serious contenders that you might have to face at the next election, what you think of them? I think that he is a complete bullshitter and I think he's been found out. And I'm really struck with the Partygate stuff because 
you know, he it, it wasn't just that he did things which broke the rules. It's that he then took the piss out of the public with his ridiculous defences afterwards. And in the local elections, I accept that not everyone on doors was saying it's that that's done it for me. But there was a general realisation that this guy bullshits. And if he's bullshitting about that, he's probably bullshitting about everything. And all this stuff about levelling up, when people can see there's not much happening around near them, I think there's, there's this sense that this guy doesn't mean a word that he says. Mm. And that goes very, very deep, very deep. And it's, I mean, that's why I don't think there was ever any way back for him from that. And I think it's really good for the country that we're seeing the back of it. So there's a danger, though, that you lose, in a sense, one of your greatest strengths. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we'll face whoever wins this awful uh, contest. But there are, you know, look at the state of them. I mean, there are the individual things that they're saying, the sort of fantasy economics. I did a speech in Gateshead uh, a week ago today in the morning. And at that stage, there were £200 billion worth of unfunded spending commitments. By the time I did media in the evening, it was £330 billion. So that was the time it took me to get back to London from Gateshead. They'd gone up by another £100 billion. So there's the fantasy element of it. But more, more profoundly, the Tory party has lost any sense of purpose. They are tearing themselves apart. Um, they don't know what party they are. They don't know what they stand for. Um, and that that's why the, the change that the country needs cannot be to replace the person at the top of the Tory party, whoever it is. It strikes me, though, that a lot of these problems are much more fundamental. We're, we're going, they're, they're not just unique to Britain. Right? It's a global phenomenon. We're looking at different forms of populism. We're and Alistair loves to say, polarisation, post-truth, populism. Yeah. And some of this is driven by our electoral system. I mean, what, one of the tr- things we hear again and again is actually they're fed up with a lot of you. They're fed up with the Tories. They're fed up with Labour. They're fed up with the Lib Dems. And what people really want is a bit of fresh blood. They want an electoral system with some proportional representation where we can get smaller parties coming in, where we can get people who aren't haven't been completely allied to these parties and these machines forever coming in. Um, why, why won't you get behind us on on electoral reform? Rory, I was with you um, a long way down that um, sentence or series of sentences until you got to proportional representation. I think one of the biggest um, issues and challenges in politics now is that because of people like Johnson – who debase politics and drag everybody into the gutter, there is this general sense that you're all the same. Um, and that is the most corrosive thing um, because once people think you're all the same, they lose heart in the idea that politics is a force for good. And that is a very dangerous place to get to. It's why Johnson in the end drags everyone into the gutter with him. He wants everyone down in that place with him. He's not the only one, but he's a classic example of it. And one of the reasons that um, I said what I said about the Durham incident when I was being investigated by the police was not to say, look, you know, I'm a little goody two-shoes, I follow the rules, et cetera, et cetera. That was sanctimonious. That wasn't what it was about. It was much more fundamental, which is to say, I understand that it matters, that uh, if I want you to trust me, I have to say I'm prepared to put my entire career on the line if I'm found to have broken the rules that I helped make. And that I needed to demonstrate that we're not all the same because that that is the single most important thing in politics, which because if people lose that, they lose heart. I admire you for that, but I don't I don't believe anymore that we can rely simply on the virtue of individual politicians. What you seem to be saying is 
We don't need to change the system. We don't need to change the constitution. We don't need to change the structures. We just need better people. And I concluded after you know, nearly 10 years in that place that there is something fundamentally wrong with the incentives, the structures, the way the parties operate, the way the votes. It's not, it's not an accident that we end up with people who are most of the time more interested in campaigning and sticking it to the opposition than they are in thinking critically and governing well. And we can't change that just by hoping that we're going to have noble individuals. Look, I think, you know, I accept that noble individuals on their own aren't enough. Um, but I would, you know, if I look back to the last Labour government, um, they did lots of incredible things. They made incredible change when it came to, you know, health, education, um, sure start, things that were done, you know, for young people. I've been in local schools seeing mentors working with young children who were almost certainly going to go off the rails um, as a crime prevention strategy. And I, I had the depressing experience of sitting as director of public prosecutions in the back of courts for years and years and years and years and seeing, you know, broadly the same cohort of people being processed through the system over and over again. And you need to break that. And I think the last Labour government did that. So I do think you can bring about change and good. Oh, and, and we are, you may have noticed, we are um, being very clear about the success of the last Labour government, because I don't think the Labour Party has been um, over the last decade or so. And there's a lesson here for the Tories as well, because as they tear themselves apart in this leadership race they're trashing their they're, they're already doing it they're trashing their own record when a party starts trashing its own record in government i mean we've proved a few things in the labor party and one is if you trash your own record in government uh, it's not a winning formula let, let me have a last stab at this and I'll, I'll hand back to alistair again i think the world's changed since then that world that you're talking about 97 to 2010 was the last hurrah of this kind of centrist technocratic politics all over the world. And something changed in the world, all over the world, not just in Britain, Brazil, United States, India, between 2014 and 16. And there are many reasons for it. Globalization, 2008 financial crisis, a lot of it's to do with Twitter and Facebook. But we're entering a very, very different world. And I don't believe that our structures and institutions are set up to deal with them. In fact, I think what we've got in the Westminster system and an unwritten constitution is a very, very dangerous situation where we're more vulnerable than almost any other country potentially to people behaving in the way that Boris Johnson behaved. And I think there's a strong possibility that he's not just an exception to the rule. He's a symptom of a much deeper problem in our system. I think that we certainly could strengthen the institutions and strengthen the rules. Um, and one of the um, challenges of not having a written constitution is, of course, that um, a lot of what we do in Parliament is by convention rather than by rule. And that convention does rely on um, people at the top in politics, um, you know, having integrity um, and honesty. Um, even the rule that um, you can't call someone a liar in the chamber, which is Curious, and I know sometimes people say, "Well, why don't why don't you just call him a liar here?" But you can't do it, and obviously there's a frustration sometimes in not being able to do that. Because I, if I've been able to, I'd have used it many, many times. But but the thinking behind it is that one, the debate shouldn't just descend into everybody shouting "liar" at the opposition because that isn't you know any that wouldn't be a constructive debate. But it's also deeply rooted in the idea that should someone say something in the chamber that's wrong. 
they would have the wherewithal to come back and but isn't, but isn't that Rory's point? Um, that the, that, the rules that, no, are... no, so that's why I agree with Rory that we should strengthen the institutions, strengthen the rules, strengthen the convention. But you don't feel politics is broken. A lot, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, the, one of the things that comes through again and again and again, you, you seem to think it's about Johnson, whereas there's a genuine sense that actually the system is creaking. No, look, I don't think it's broken. Um, and uh, But we have to give people belief that things can change and change for the better. Um, but, so I would change the institution and the rules, Rory. I do think they need strengthening. I'd also do something bolder than that. Uh, uh, that is to devolve in the, I mean, devolve such an awkward word, but to, to put decisions closer to people where they are in the place that they live so that you build up um, from each place, each town, each city, each area. Um, and so you don't have... Whitehall. I mean, the levelling up, so-called levelling up project is a classic example of this, a pot of money in Whitehall that local areas have to bid into and somebody in Whitehall then tells you whether it's good enough. Completely the wrong model. Turn that on its head and put the decision making um, closer to where people are, involve them in it, turn it completely upside down. And that's why um, I'm very interested in this question of economic devolution and whether we can actually get the money, the resource, the skills, the infrastructure uh, as a set of decisions much, much closer to people. Because I do believe that people believe in politics when you talk about where is my place, what do I want to see where I live, what are my aspirations for my place, my kids, my school, um, the next generation. People have real belief in that politics. The disconnect comes between that and national politics. And I think that um, not only do we need um, integrity and honesty in politics to rebuild that. Not only do we need to change the institutions and the rules, but we need to we need to put politics back where it really belongs, which is in the communities that we all champion, that we want to see thrive. How are you going to dominate the agenda between now and the election? I mean, I, I, I know it's been difficult. Johnson's taken so much oxygen. You've had COVID. You've had Ukraine. But you do get a sense sometimes that Labour sort of tags itself onto the end of the stories about government. You get a lot of criticism, people saying you don't have oomph and all that stuff. Where's the energy going to come from and how are you going to dominate? The, do you accept you have to dominate the agenda now for the next two years? Yes, I do. Um, and, and how's that going to happen? We've got to do that uh, with real energy. I think something's happened this year um, to the Labour Party, which is really important because the hope of a Labour government is what we've had for two years – after those local election results, after Wakefield, after everything that's going on in the Tory party, that hope has become a belief. And that's – they're not just two words. Hope is what you have at the beginning of a football match, even though you're you know, up against the Premier League champions. You still hope that your team is going to win. Belief is what you have when you know there's only 60 seconds left and you're 3-1 up. So they are two different emotions. That has changed. We need to dominate, um, but we need to dominate on the areas that we want to dominate on. Okay, and you didn't economy. answer my question about the, the Tory contenders. Uh, what was the question again? The question was what you actually think of them. Oh, right, look, Sunak, Truss. I, I think they're all um, B-grade candidates. Um, you know, I, I really don't mind which of them I go up against. They're all, I mean, most of them are, are tainted by having propped up Johnson for three. It's no good now, Rishi Sunak saying, you know, I'm the guy with principles. I'm the guy with integrity. Um, he propped him up for three, for three years. Um, trust the same. Um, so... I constantly get this question, which of them do you fear? I don't fear any of them. Um, they're a busted flush. The whole project is broken. I think the Tories have been more divided, um, and Rory will know this from his time, for longer than people think. This isn't just a fallout because of Partygate mm. and what's happened in the last 10 months. If you look at those <clears throat> years 
2016 to 2019. It was bitter. There were two Tory parties fighting it out. Rory was in the middle of all this. Two different senses of what you wanted a Tory party to be. Add to that the 29 intake and you've got, you know, so-called red wall Tory MPs with so-called blue Tory MPs. Uh, MPs who want completely different things. So it's not just that the government hasn't got, for example, an economic strategy. It's not capable of having one because it can't hold that coalition together. So I, that's why I think the idea that they're going to elect someone, you know, uh, as the new leader and it's all, they're going to get their mojo back and it's all going to unite. I just can't see that. This is a bitter battle about the very purpose of the Conservative Party. I mean, it's, I think you're making a very good observation. I think it's true. I think the Conservative Party is two parties. I think the Labour Party is also two parties. I mean, oddly, we're in a situation where we've got a kind of four-party system. And one of the problems is, is for you and for Conservative leaders, how on earth you hold these coalitions together. Um, I, you didn't quite answer my push on the economy. I reckon we're going into a global recession. I reckon we are facing a horrible, long-term, deep inflation and I think it's going to be very difficult. There's going to be an attempt by central banks to raise interest rates in order to try to have some kind of landing. But we are so much in debt. And this is one of the ways I disagree with Alistair. I, I really, one of the reasons I think that there was something to be said for what David Cameron and George Osmond were doing is that I think it's very, very dangerous to build up these levels of debt and deficit because when you have them and the interest rates go up, you're going to spark a financial crisis. So my guess is, in Britain, in the United States, and in Europe. I'm going to be Fiona be Bruce a, here, Rory. What's your question? There'll be an attempt to raise interest rates. And then the central banks will panic because it'll spark a financial crisis. So they won't take the tough measures necessary. And we're going to enter a decade of stagflation. We're going to enter a decade of stagnant growth and inflation. Well, Rory, governments can make decisions that affect the economic outturn. Um, and you talk about Cameron and Osborne. Uh, they took the wrong decision in what they did between 2010 and 2015. I saw this firsthand up front because I was running the Crown Prosecution Service. I was running a public service. Um, and they just took across-the-board cuts to all of our public services. Instead of reimagining public services, I instead of saying, well, how do we have a strategy here that um, gets the best for the money we've got, they just did a blanket cut across the piece. And it was a complete and utter disaster. Uh, we didn't have economic growth. We didn't get out of that by 2015. I apologize, Kit. Sh I shouldn't have raised the question of Cameron Oswald. I get, the I get that. But, but will you answer my question, which is moving forward? What, how on earth are you going to be able to deal with a situation in which you're going to inherit, if you take over, immense inflation and where it's going to be almost impossible for the central banks to take the action necessarily control it? Well, we have to build that relationship that I spoke of with business. We have to have the certainty that we need. We have to pull the levers that are available for a government to pull in a situation like that. Um, what taxes? Um, where do you put those taxes? Are they fair? Are they efficient? Um, the way we work with businesses, many, many businesses and investors are saying to me, there is money in the pipeline here, but it's just not being released because we don't have the certainty that we need about the economy. So I'm not... Um, uh, a, a sort of doomster here, Rory, saying, well, you know, the outlook looks pretty grim, but there's nothing a progressive government can do about it. I do think there are things that we can do about it as long as we make the right decisions. And, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of talk about, you know, uh, whether I should be more of an entertainer in politics. Um, but all the discussions I have, whether it's with communities in Burnley or whether it's the CEOs of the huge investment banks, 
there's serious discussions about the future of the country, and none of them, not one of them, has said to me, Keir, the thing Tell that we're really, a joke. <laughs> if I say to them, what do you want from an incoming progressive Labour government? None of them have said, we, a few more one-liners would be great, Keir. Mm. You're charged the lightweight brigade. I You're charged the lightweight brigade. Oh, yeah, you like that. Yeah, yeah, Let me ask you this. Matthew's in the corner looking, starting to look like I used to look. So my last question, the Daily Mail showed over the Durham thing just how venal and evil they can be. Are you ready psychologically for the scale of the onslaught that's going to come your way? Yes, I am. Um, and, you know, we got a little glimpse of it with um, Durham and everything in the last um, however many months of this absolutely sort of vicious campaign that they will run. Um, I'm ready for it. I'm not relishing it, but I'm ready for it. What does worry me is, and this is the same for anyone in public life, the impact it might have on my family. One of the reasons that Vic, my wife, has never done an interview is because we don't want to put her into the public domain. She works in the NHS. Um, she has her own life. We never um, use our children's names in public or put any photographs of them out there. So I'm ready for it. I know what is going to happen. We've had enough of a glimpse of that. Um, I will do everything within my power to protect my wife and our kids as we go through that awful period. And what about in the long term, protecting the country from their continuing insidiousness in our public debate? Well, Levison, you know, we, 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 we deserve better than the media we've got. What can the government do to bring it well, about? Look, just as I've got a list of the constituencies that I need to win, I've got a list of the priorities in government. Um, and the priority is um, rebooting the economy um, rebuilding our public services and uniting the country, I'm afraid. And they're going, and I'm going to be laser focused on those because, um, you know, if you promise too much um, and don't deliver, you end up where Johnson is. And what's, what's it going to take here to get Alistair Campbell back into the Labour Party? What's it going to take for you to invite him back in? I don't know whether he wants to come back in. We'll have to have that discussion. But <laughs> <laughs> I've never stopped he's, being Labour. He's part of the Labour family. Yeah. And what about, what about getting Roy Stewart a, a job as a well, – but are you going to bring back Diffit? Yes, yes, Is we that, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For so many reasons, you know, not to see the importance of a, of a department that is focused on fixing some of the global problems that actually unlock a lot of the um, promise, um, uh, et cetera, is, I just think, totally misguided. I did a lot of work um, pre in my previous life in other countries – on projects that were diffid led where we were dealing with um, problems of, you know, the rule of law in other countries um, in order not only to ensure those countries thrived as democracies, but also to ensure that we continue to thrive as a country. And I think the wrongheadedness of not seeing that as a massive asset is huge. So maybe a job for Rory Stewart on the board of the newly constituted Diffid, because he's desperate to get into, back into public put, life. And I think he's finished in the Tory party. I think he's just had it. What do you think, Rory? Put your application in, Rory. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Well, Alistair and I will join together. Thank you very much. All right. Lovely. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Nice to see you again, Rory. All the best. Thanks, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. 
Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rory, I keep delivering these big labour beasts. When are we going to get a Tory on here? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Part of the problem is they, they don't trust you. They think you're really, really nice to all these labour people. And as soon as you get a Tory on, you're going to go nuts. So I think they're all terrified. They think it's a sort of new labour chat show. <laughs> no, I'd be very – I'm very respect, respectful to people who've got courage of their convictions. So anybody who came on for a proper debate, it'd be, that's what, exactly what we'd have, a proper – Discussion. Yeah. Anyway, what, did you, what did you make of that? I quite enjoyed that. I thought he was okay. I thought, I mean, he's very intelligent. He's very thoughtful. Um, he, I think he isn't bold enough, to be honest. I think both with your Leveson question 
and my questions about the constitution and my questions about the economy, he basically reverts to if you're a good, well-meaning person, you know, it's all going to be fine. So with Leveson, for example, he'd say, yeah, you know, they're awful, these particular newspapers, but he doesn't want to reform the structure in which the newspapers work. He says Boris Johnson's awful, but he doesn't want to really change fundamentally any of the ways in which parliament operates. And I felt with the economy, he tends to come down to nice anecdotes. I mean, I felt this when I was an MP. It's a real temptation to, you've had an inspiring meeting with a company, you've been somewhere, you've seen something nice, and you think, well, that's great. I've just met someone who said, if only the government was more efficient, got the money out better, everything will be fine. But he's not really yet stepping back and seeing the big structural problems. And I think if he becomes prime minister, it's those big structural problems that are the real mm. tests. I mean, I think, I, I think that it's really interesting. You know the thing he said right at the start? I think I said to you before, I've heard him say it before, and it was the first time when I actually felt there was a kind of sense of strategy there. It was, it was actually last football season when Burnley played at Arsenal. And Kieran and I met for a drink afterwards, and he was with some of his old friends, some of whom went back like decades. And there was a woman there who was, uh, I think, the wife of one of his old school friends. And I was giving Keir a bit of a hard time over Brexit and not giving Johnson enough stick over COVID and all my usual sort of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there was a woman there and she said, I, I, I've got to say, Keir, I agree with Alistair. I think you're far too nice to him. And he, that it, it, it was the first time I heard him lay out that thing that he laid out right at the start of our chat just now when he said, Step one was decontaminating, detoxifying the Labour Party after Corbyn. Step two, showing this government is unfit to government, and I'm absolutely convinced that we can do that. And then the third stage is about setting out a Labour agenda. Now, I, I think what he's doing, it was interesting that he used the same sort of way to describe this. The reason he didn't want to get hooked up on Leveson was because he said, I'm going to focus absolutely on economy, public service, and uniting the kingdom. Uh, bringing the country together. And likewise, on the thing about the Libs, he, he's, they're obviously not going to campaign in Lib Dem Tory strongholds. They're basically, he's basically saying, I've got a list of seats where I've got to be. That's what So I, what I took from that was a kind of more of a strategic focus, I think. And he's not going to get pushed around into doing the things that he doesn't think are going to help him. I, I think that's right. But given that key to this focus is economics, I'm not seeing the economics. I, I don't understand his economic theory. I don't get, how's he going to fund the NHS and social care? Does he want to? Does he want to have a transformation in social care? If mm. so, what's he going to do? Is he going to borrow money? Is he going to raise taxes? Mm. You know, what is his policy towards inflation? I mean, basically his answer to that kind of question is, well, you know, I'm going to come in and, you know, I've met a lot of businesses recently and they've told me that, you know, there needs to be more strategy and more direction. But he's not really biting. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is the reason why it's difficult to do green growth is that so many of the things that we're doing in renewable energy are basically made in China mm. or they're made in lower, lower wage economies. Right? And to deal with that, you have to confront big questions. Is he going to be protectionist? Is he going to follow this government in putting up tariffs on steel, for example? I'm not seeing any of that stuff yet. And it may be that he's just, it's too early, but I'd mm. like to see a bit more of that. No, I, I'd like to see. Uh, I, I've, I've actually said to Kit before about before Tony Blair when the Social Justice Commission, which was you know a really good, I think a really good piece of policy development work, where they identified the big problem, social justice, and then the policies developed over time. And I think with this, if you're going to make economic growth your big thing, there then has to be a clear process by which. Serious arguments, serious policies then developed. And I hope that's what uh, 
what follows in the next stages. And, uh, and what, you, what you'd find, I guess, is you, you need to find an economist who you really embrace. And mm. it's not necessarily going to be the kind of economist that I'd embrace, but, you know, maybe it's somebody like Larry Summers. Mm. You get behind them and you, you're, you're honest about their views and mm. you have answers to questions like inflation and borrowing deficits mm. and all this kind of stuff. And, and that, I think, is the problem, that the hard truths he's told to the Labour Party are basically... So far, the one that we all remember is anti-Semitism. And that's not a hard enough truth. If you really want to reform a party, he's going to have to get into the really tough stuff. And that tough stuff is about how much is he going to spend and where the money's going to come from. Anyway, I enjoyed his um, rebuss to you about austerity. I'm glad that he just came straight back at you on that one. And That was good. That was good. And it ta- taught me a lesson, didn't it? Because I, I, I made my con- question too complicated and set myself up as a hostage for fortune <laughs> but you know you've been on a anyway, plane you, for a long time re- so the big question is are you going to rejoin his party you're going to be his comms director no i'm not going to be his comms director but uh, I, I i'm sure i will rejoin the labor party at some point and uh, what about you roy are you ever going to rejoin the tory party no so why don't you join the labor party well i i'd, I'd like to see some clear thinking i'd like to see some economic policy i actually i'm afraid without being too partisan you know i'm not very partisan this I think I, at the moment, have clearer answers out of Rishi Sunak on what he'd do with the economy, agree with him or disagree with him, than I'm getting out of Keir Starmer. Mm. Yeah, well, let's see, see how we develop between now and the election. I think you'll vote Labour at the election, Rory. Lib Dem, probably. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yes, you, you are. You're a bit of a Lib Dem. When push comes to shove, you're a bit of a Lib Dem. It's true. Anyway, I've got to go see my daughter Grace. Tickets are now on sale for the gilded balloon at the fridge. Dom is shaking his head in disbelief that I'm plugging my daughter's tickets, but I promised her I would. And um, if you can plug your bloody radio show, I can plug my daughter at the gilded balloon. Oh, well, fridge, thank you for month. reminding everybody. Yep, it's called The Long, Long History of Argument from Socrates to Social Media on BBC Radio 4 next three weeks. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>